Gazette Newspapers presents the Parting Shots Podcast. Now, here's your host, Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor, Ken Schott. Thank you, Scott Geezy, and welcome to the Parting Shots Podcast. Available wherever you get your podcast. Subscribe today. Thanks for joining me for the Parting Shots Podcast studio in Schenectady, New York. We have another fine show for you. The U.S. Open Golf Tournament takes place this week, but that's not the big story in the men's pro golf world. Brian Patron, who will call the U.S. Open for Sirius XM Radio, will join me later to discuss the battle between the PGA Tour and the Saudi-funded LIV Tour, as well as preview the U.S. Open. The puck drops on the Stanley Cup Final on Wednesday night when the Colorado Avalanche hosts the two-time defending Stanley Cup champion, Tampa Bay Lightning. To talk about the series is someone very familiar to the Capital Region. He is a graduate of Scotia Glenville High School and the College of St. Rose. He's also a former sports talk show host and U Albany basketball analyst at 104.5 The Team here in the Capital Region. He is the co-host of Stokely and Zach on 104.3 The Fan in Denver. Here is Zach By Zach, uh, welcome to the podcast. How you doing? Hey, Ken, I'm doing great, man. Having so much fun with this run. Uh, it's been so fun. Thanks for the shout-out to Scotia and St. Rose. Um, think about the Capital Region often, and it's uh, it's good to connect with you all these years later um, after first meeting you back in, you know, Fox Sports 980's studio oh, yeah. with Roger Wyland and, you know, all that stuff. So it's pretty cool. It's, it's, been, a, it's been a long time, trust me. I know that. But uh, let me ask you, uh, what's the uh, mood like in Denver right now? Uh, the mood is just pure excitement. I mean, this is the closest a team has been to a championship since 2015 where the Denver Broncos defeated the Carolina Panthers uh, at Super Bowl 50, and this town got to have a parade. Uh, but before that, Ken, we're talking about um, really, you know, you can zoom out a couple decades. Uh, this town, uh, Colorado, Denver, has had one championship parade in the last 21 years, uh, before uh, uh, before that, you got to go back to uh, it's the 2001 yeah. uh, Colorado Avalanche, right. um, and then and that's really considered, by the way, um, 1996 to 2001 is considered the golden age in Denver sports, where the Avs won it in '96, and then in 2001, the Denver Broncos won back-to-back Super Bowls in '97 and '98. Um, but since that period. Um, you know, and obviously championships are hard to win. So anyway, to, to your question, everyone's just so excited. Everyone wants a parade. And we've seen this coming up for a couple of years uh, where we watch this Avalanche team grow and try and fail and try and fail again. But we knew when we'd have segments say, who, who would be the next team to win a championship? The Broncos, the Rockies, the Nuggets, or the Avs? Most people with a working brain said the Avs. And uh, here they are, just four wins away from a, a Stanley Cup. Yeah, I mean, uh, you talk about the past couple of years. They were eliminated in the second round each of the last couple of years. With, you know, Nate McKinnon was frustrated after last year's elimination. So how much pressure was on head coach uh, Jared Benar about uh, you know, getting uh, you know, getting to the, at least getting to the final this year? I mean, was, his, was his job hanging in the balance if he doesn't get there? Yeah, I, that was definitely a conversation. Um, if you look at the contract, it didn't say that. But but we know that that doesn't mean much. You know, uh, these professional coaches can get fired on a whim. Um, so although they just extended them by a couple years last year, there was a very loud um, uh, clamor that if 
Jared Bednar and the Colorado Avalanche can't get out of the second round again. It's been three years in a row the Avs bounced in the second round. And maybe early in that, maybe the first year that they got bounced in the second round, maybe they were a little bit, um, a little bit early, you know, on their arc. Um, but the last two years, they kind of blew it. They lose in Game 7 in the bubble to the Dallas Stars. They had that series. They blew it. And last year is where they really blew it. And New York Rangers fans know all about this from the last week and a half, is that last year the Avs had a 2-0 series lead in the second round against the Golden Knights. And in Game 3, they had a two-goal lead. And that's exactly what happened to the Rangers in the last uh, in the last week or so. So the way that it fell last year was just so disappointing. It was heartbreaking. Uh, fans in Colorado did not feel like the Golden Knights were the better team, um, but they went out there and won it. But they but but fans are saying that if you, if you lose in the second round again, and even it was debatable if they if they lost in the Western Finals and showed growth but still couldn't get to the Cup while being the Stanley Cup favorite that you couldn't bring back Jared Bednar, that you had to change something. And luckily, you know, we don't have to um, have those conversations anymore. But it wasn't just much more than three weeks ago, Ken, that those conversations were still in bounds to have. But now you get across uh, the, the, the uh, threshold of success because everyone agreed throughout this season. Well, maybe not everyone, but it was like, like the abs may not have to win it all, but they have to get there. You're the favorite two years in a row. So the fact that they that they did get there, uh, regardless of how it turns out, I think Bednar is totally safe. I mean, the, I mean, the Avs could take a lesson in what happened to the Lightning. You know, three years ago, they had the best record in the league, and they got swept out in the first round by uh, the Columbus Blue Jackets. I mean, is, could they look at what happened there? Because you know, obviously the Lightning have won two straight Stanley Cups. Can they take a, a lesson from what happened to Tampa and apply it to themselves uh, in this final? Oh, I, I think so. I mean, I think so. I think, I think you're you're trying to use anything and, and apply it as a lesson. Um, you know, that being said, uh, you, you reference that series um, from a while back. They have so many series right now themselves, and maybe not as deep as they are right now. But this is a team that we've seen blow three goal leads. This is a team that we've seen get down early uh, in games and be able to be able to come back we've seen them shut out a team like the Edmonton Oilers four to zero but we've also seen them win games eight to six against the same opponent Mm -hmm. so there are so many lessons to be learned over really the last four years that while I definitely respect the question and think that there's something there there's been so much happened to them that they can draw from their own experiences and their own failures I think more than most groups, because this unit has been together, the same core unit, Gabe Landeskog, Mikko Rantanen, um, uh, Nathan McKinnon specifically, the last three years with Kale McCarr, they've been together through hundreds and hundreds of battles that they're kind of battle-tested right now. Even though they haven't been this far, they've experienced real failure. So um, you only hope that they learn and, and grow from those lessons and apply those lessons right here where it matters the most in the Stanley Cup Final. Of course, they've had some time off after sweeping Edmonton uh, in the uh, Western Conference Final. Do you, do you think that, I mean, we saw Tampa, they had extra rest and they you know, lost the first two games against the Rangers. What do they? Uh, what does Colorado have to do to avoid that? 
Man, that's maybe probably the third most relevant question with the abs right now heading into the cup finals. Like the ultimate rest versus rust conversation. And you can tell you can say and, and Bednar and the guys have that, hey, we're gonna push each other in practice and you know, we're gonna keep our conditioning, you know, on point. But you just can't replicate though that, that game speed, um, you know, and that game intensity. And this is now entering an environment which should be the most tense environment that, that they've ever played in um, in, in the, the Cup Finals. So um, we just don't know the answer to that, Ken. Like, really, like, we just don't know. It, but I will say this. The Avs have already had a little bit of experience um, on this topic because they swept um, Nashville in the first round and had to wait around till a seven-game series wrapped itself up. Um, so although it's not as this um, – uh, legitimate of time off. I'm hoping that the professionalism of this group and the tenured nature of this group, these guys, these guys are kind of young, but they're not that young. You're talking about Nathan McKinnon being around for nine years at this point. Yeah. Like, so um, I think the maturity and the professionalism of the group should be able to push themselves in the days leading up to Wednesday, which are mostly behind us now. But again, to the crux of your question, we, we, we just don't know what that looks like as um, obviously their opponent, just got done with their series and has a lot less of that rest, but enough to kind of catch their breath. Well, you said that was the third relevant question surrounding the ads. I think the number one question surrounding the ads has got to be the goaltending situation. Yeah, yeah, it is. And and it's so front and center. Um, Pavel Francouz will probably not start. He has been the backup throughout the year, but he's been a really competent backup. And can believe it or not, right now, Pavel Francouz is riding a franchise record six-game winning streak in the playoffs. Mm-hmm. And it's one of these things where it's like, is was that because of him? No, but it certainly wasn't in spite of him. Darcy Kemper, um, a couple rounds back, took a, a stick to the eye. Uh, Francouz has to, you know, pinch hit, uh, does, does fine. Kemper comes back, is it right, gives up, I think, three goals on the first nine shots of the game, has to pull himself out of the game in the first period. Francois came in and did really well and then pitched a shutout in the next game. So I was like, okay, now we got to roll with this guy. It got to a point um, uh, at the end of the last series is that Francois was starting and Darcy was healthy and was a, a dressed backup. So the dynamic is very unusual. I think that reasonable minds can disagree on who should be the starter. But the thing is, if we're having the conversation the week of the Stanley Cup, that means there's not one guy who has really just fully taken it. Darcy has been okay, um, okay in the in the in the postseason. I give him about a C plus, and I give Francois maybe a B minus. But it feels like a quarterback competition between Drew Locke and Teddy Bridgewater. Like, yeah. neither guy is great, which is why we're having these conversations. And I think if you look historically on um, the, the, the goaltenders that have won Stanley Cups, if the Avs go on to win this thing, it'll be one of the worst. And this is, you know, I don't mean to be rude or, or disrespectful, but it'll be one of the worst starting goaltenders we've seen in recent memory to, to, to win a Stanley Cup. But the guys in front of them are just so damn good yeah. and the offensive production is, is is to a point where it almost feels like and, and i hope these words don't come back to bite me but they like the biggest lopsided matchup in this series is andre Vasilevsky against it for whoever starts for the abs 
but it feels like the abs are actually good enough to overcome that uh, deficit between the pipes. I hope I'm right on that, but I just don't know yet. And the other question is Nazem Kadri's status. I mean, he got cheap shotted by uh, Evander Kane in that uh, game three and uh, missed game four. Uh, what do as 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 of we're taping Monday? We don't. You know, obviously, you know, NHL teams are very vigilant in keeping injury uh, a secret. What the actual injury is? What, what do you think? Does he play uh, on Wednesday? You know, first of all, you're spot on with identifying the second biggest storyline after the goaltender. Um, it's Kadri. Um, I'd be, I'd be, I'd be. I shouldn't say I'd be stunned. Well, I'd be stunned if I see him in the first half of the series. I'll say that. But, but we know that he got surgery on his thumb and he had tendons repaired. I'd feel a lot better if it was a, a hairline fracture or even a broken bone. Um, it, when you start talking about tendons, uh, I just, I, I just don't ex- like that surgery was about, I don't know, nine, 10 days ago. And then we're talking about maybe nine, 10 days from now being available. I just can't go there. I don't think we're going to see Nazem Kadri at all in the Stanley cup finals. And you know, uh, it's a huge loss from two different standpoints. One Kadri had a career season this this past year. Uh, he was the best version of himself, start to finish. He was one of the most productive Avalanche players. Uh, he, he, he did not get himself into any trouble, which has been a historical documentation of his career. He walks yep. that line and oftentimes crosses it. Um, but, it's so, but it's the production there. But it's also he represents something that the Avalanche, I don't know if they have with any other player, is Kadri represents almost like a backbone of this team, almost like a spine, um, kind of similar to how like Draymond Green is for the Golden State Warriors, uh, you know, less bombastic, of course, than Draymond, but represents just like, not, not a bully, but like a guy that, and he's not an enforcer either, so it's not fair to categorize him as that, yeah. but he's a guy that is like, brings a physical presence, brings a hard-nosed style of play, keeps opponents' head on a swivel, um, and he's really freaking good, you know, from a production standpoint. So it's a big-time loss. I don't want to act like it's not. Now, they were able to overcome it against uh, the Edmonton Oilers, but this is a team in Tampa Bay that has championship pedigree. Um, they've been there, done that. Everything the Avs want to do, that's what the uh, Tampa Bay Lightning has already done. So I think it's a huge loss for the Colorado Avalanche. Um, and like, like you identified, after the goaltender situation, it's the next biggest question mark for the Avs. I am a hockey expert. You know that. <laughs> yeah, yes, I know. I know, but I still want to give you your props. <laughs> well, let's take a look at the uh, the opponent, the Tampa Bay Lightning. Obviously, uh, have won two straight Stanley Cups, and they've won it in really two different ways. You know, the winning in the bubble in 2020 and winning in a uh, shortened season last year, and they're back again. I mean, how much is their experience a factor in this against Colorado? I think it's a big factor. I really do. I wonder, even despite all the battles that the Avalanche have had, if they have the chops to go up against another champion and beat them four times in about 10 days or whatever it is, and especially considering the, the lopsided matchup of the goaltenders. Uh, I, I think experience this time of year, it's just everything. And it's not even like the Avs have a collection of three or four guys that have won cups elsewhere and have come into the locker room and get to, you know, share some of those experiences. They don't have enough guys like that. Um, So I I think it's one of the biggest factors uh, in this series. 
that the common presence of being able to look around a room at, at, at most of the faces there and say, hey, we've been here before. Like, we, we've done this. And they've, they've oh, by the way, like, and I don't think this gets mentioned enough, like, Tampa Bay has already had to overcome stuff within this postseason, let alone through the years uh, on their way to hoisting um, the, the Stanley Cup. This was a team that barely got out of the first round. Yeah. This was a team that was down 3-2 to two to the Maple Leafs and had to go into overtime in Game 6 to force a Game 7 to ultimately win it. Like, like that, like their championship experience brought them over the finish line of that first round series. And I got to be honest, it makes me nervous. You know, as someone who pulls for the Avalanche, it makes me nervous because as more like the Avs are a more talented team. I don't know many people who follow the sport that would disagree with that. But we've seen in all different types of sports where experience, with a little less talent, experience can make up for that gap. And I think it's a really fair question, one that I just don't know the answer to. Yeah, I mean, I, I picked the light. I actually picked the Lightning to win in seven over Toronto, and, but then I foolishly went with the Panthers in six in the next round, and I was <laughs> definitely uh, wrong with that one. But I just, I'm just impressed with what they have done, and John Cooper, what he has done as a coach. I mean, he's already you know, stamped his ticket to the Hall of Fame uh, once he decides to retire. But just, I think this is going to be a tough series, and I mean, Tampa has not had home ice advantage in any of the, these rounds, and it hasn't bothered them. So, I mean, that's, I think that could be a play role as well. I, I think so too. Um, you know, that, that, well, I, I'll say this though. I'll say this though to, to that. And that's a fair point they bring up, but the abs were a historically good home team during the regular season. I believe they lost at home in regulation just five times, yeah. but, but somehow Ken, they've been even better on the road this postseason. You're talking about a team that is a perfect 7-0 and away from Denver. That is just – that's incredible. That's good. I mean, that is – I mean, that is like – I'm not going to say it's unprecedented, but it's damn close. Um, so, you know, I, I think the Avs – oh, gosh, I don't want to get ahead of myself with the confidence. But, you know, because of the Veseleski factor, because of the experience factor. But the Avs feel great about going on the road and playing Tampa in Tampa. Uh, they played twice this season. The Avalanche won both games. Um, so, you know, I don't care where they play. The Avs still should be able to win. But you look at some of the home contests, believe it or not. They have not been the best version of themselves at home the way that they were in the regular season. I hope that doesn't rear its ugly head. Because if it does, and the, and the Lightning steal one of the first two games, I think some of that lack of experience and doubt can start creeping in because they're in they're they're in uncharted territory right now with the in the Stanley Cup final. So um it's gonna be interesting. It's gonna be interesting. Who are you going with? I'm gonna go with the Colorado Avalanche. Um I think that not only do I like the the blue chip players at the top of the roster a little bit more. Um, I think they have the, the, the two best players in the series, in Nathan McKinnon and Kale McCarr. I'm not so sure Kale McCarr is not the best player on the abs. And, and, and that's saying something considering Nathan McKinnon is a top five player in the world. Yeah. Uh, and he's not, and he's not five, you know? <laughs> so I, Kale McCarr, you know, Wayne Gretzky last week, um, said he's a, he looks like the second coming of Bobby Orr. That's a conversation we've been having in Denver for probably the last month, uh, after, um, McCarr put up 10 points in the first four games of the playoffs yeah. in that first round sweep. I think he's even the favorite right now to win the Conn Smythe. 
Um, not sure about the most recent odds, but um, so I th- so I love the Avs at the top of the roster. Like he- here I am telling you how much you know I, I think of Kale McCarr, Nathan McKinnon, and-, and Ken. Neither of those two guys was the leading goal scorer for the Avs this season. That was Miko Rantanen, mm-hmm. who went the first ten games of the postseason without scoring an organic goal. I say organic goal because he scored with one second left on an empty netter in the Blues series. Mm-hmm. But he went ten playoff games without scoring. In the Western Conference Finals, Nico Rantanen scored in Game 1, Game 2, Game 3, and Game 4. So he's got it going at the right time of year. you know. So I love those guys at the top, in addition to Gabe Landestock. But it's the depth, the depth of this roster that has been, it's been the Bull Byrams and the Arturi Lekkonen sending them you know, with three seconds left to the Stanley Cup. It's been you know, Josh Manson, a trade deadline you know, pickup who scores a game-winning goal in overtime in game one against the Blues. It's it's all these type of guys that are on, like, the edges of the roster and on that, you know, third and fourth lines that have played so well. So I love the depth of the team. The high-end talent to win a cup is there, but the depth is also there. The only question mark for me that, that prevents me from saying, like, very the most confidently, like, abs in five or something like that is just Vasilevsky standing on his head for – you know, a two-week period. And I don't want to act like that can't happen. Um, that's that's a guy at just 27 years old who's already won a consmite and a Vesna. I mean, he is he looks like a walk-and-talking Hall of Famer. So I do like the Avs. I'll say I, I will ultimately give you a specific prediction. I will say Avs get it done in Game 7 in Ball Arena in Denver uh, in about a week and a half. Um, I think this is razor-thin margins here, but I do believe the Avs have enough to get across the finish line and have a parade. I'm going lightning in six. I just, I think the pedigree's there. I think they want to you know, do it and be one of the greatest teams in this, uh, especially in the cap year, just what they've done. And so we'll, we'll see what happens. We'll have a lot of fun watching the game. One final question for you is, uh, before I let you go. If you had yes, four, sir. If you had $4.65 billion, would you buy a football team? <laughs> hey, I'll tell you what. That as much as a rock-solid investment as you could make if you're a billionaire because – the valuations on these NFL franchises, it's really incredible. Here's a quick example. The most recent sale leading up to this past week's sale, the Denver Broncos, the most recent NFL sale broke the record of uh, an NFL franchise, and it was $2.4 billion. Uh, no, it's $2.3 billion for the Carolina Panthers just back in 2018. The next team that goes for sale four years later did more than double that. With the advent of sports gambling, there's a very reasonable thought out there that over the next 10 years, that $4.65 billion is going to be looked at like a steal the same way we look back at the Carolina Panthers and say, wow, that only went for 2.3. Now now four years later went for 4.6. What's what's the Washington commander is going to go for in, in, in uh, you know, an East coast team in our nation's capital, uh, that's going to go North of five. You just know it. So I'll tell you what, man, I got a little bit of sticker shock on that too, but you know, I'm not a billionaire, Ken, not even close. So uh, <laughs> it's going to be fun to watch uh, over the next 10 years uh, where, you know, the direction of, and the value of these franchises. Will, will they be wearing blue uniforms like the Walmart employees? <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe they'll change their logo to that smiling face, and they'll and they'll roll and they'll roll back the old ones and roll in the new ones. <laughs> well, Zach, let me give you a chance to uh, plug your uh, show and plug uh, Twitter, your Twitter account. 
Yeah, man, appreciate that. The show with Stokely and Zach, we're um, into year six now of the show, five years in the books, and um, number one rated midday show in Denver, and we're on um, every day from 11 to 2 here locally, so that'd be, you know, 1 to, to 4 back east, and you can listen to the show in podcast form anytime, wherever you get your podcasts. Um, and I also have the Mile High Hoops podcast, the podcast talk about the Denver Nuggets um, that I've had now for four years, and uh, just having a great time out here in Denver. It's a fun time to be a Denver sports fan and to be doing, you know, what I'm doing in Denver where Russell Wilson, uh, you know, arguably you're right there with some of the biggest trades we've seen in NFL history, uh, a, a Hall of Fame quarterback in his prime come to Denver. You got the, the, the Stanley Cup finals with the abs in it. The basketball team has the two-time MVP of the league. And the Rockies are well, you know, the Rockies. So, yeah. but it's still fun, man. It's it's been a blast. Next time we chat, we'll have a little debate about the NBA MVP award. <laughs> hey, we hey we can do that too. I'm I'm well versed in that. I'd be ready for any arrow you throw at me. <laughs> I'm a Sixers fan, so I'll, we'll definitely talk one of these days. Zach, I appreciate a few minutes. And keep up the great work, man. It's good checking in with you. You too. Thanks for a lot. Up next, we'll talk the U.S. Open plus the ongoing battle between the PGA Tour and the Saudi-funded LIV Tour with Brian Katrick of Sirius XM Radio. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. track is your premier source of horse racing news and events from the daily newspaper of the saratoga race course the daily gazette at the track features racing tips feature stories picks by naira racing analyst anthony stabile and andy serling and direct links to naira bets check out at the track at www.dailygazette.com slash at the track hi this is union college hockey tv analyst brian unger you're listening to the parting shots podcast with daily gazette associate sports editor ken shot welcome back to the podcast the third major of the men's golf season the u.s open tees off on thursday at the country club in brookline massachusetts but the event is being overshadowed by what's going on between the pga tour and the saudi funded liv tour to talk about this is the man who will be calling the u.s open on sirius xm radio Brian Katrick. Brian, uh, welcome back to the podcast. And I have to apologize. We've had you on the last two Masters, and this year I didn't have you on for some reason. I think it was because uh, Major League Baseball had started the same weekend. Yeah, they had that, uh, which, by the way, throwback. I'm sure you talked about this. That's why the Masters was put in the date that it was, so that the sports writers on their way back home from spring training could stop by this little old golf tournament. That's right. Now we don't. We don't really have to, to bribe them much anymore, do we? <laughs> no. Yeah, because I remember back baseball started in the middle of April. I mean, now it's like starting late March. It's uh, Of course, this season with the, the lockout didn't do that. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's one of these days i got to get down to the Masters if I can get on my bucket list. But I'll have to work that out. But let's talk about what's going on here with um, the PGA Tour and the LIV Tour as we get ready for the U.S. Open. How did we get to this point where we have this really – revolutionary war type situation considering where you know the birth where the you know, revolutionary war started in massachusetts there you know that's an interesting question how did this all start a lot of folks are, are pointing to greg norman having the idea for the world golf championships and and that idea not going the direction he'd like uh i, I don't know if that's accurate or not 
I've heard Greg tell that story. I had the distinct pleasure of getting to host or co-host Greg's own show with him. And he understands that the PGA Tour was probably working on an idea like that. And, and so was he. Uh, he had hoped that they would decide to work with him on it. They chose to decide to work with, with IMG. He, there's a diplomatic version of this story that, that he has told. Uh, I don't know what happened to get the Saudi government involved. Uh, I know that they had a European tour event. Uh, and then that European tour event was taken away from them. It's not an official European tour event. That may have been enough to cause some bad blood. Uh, it's also possible that this didn't start because of bad blood. I know we don't want to hear about that, you know, because we're not, uh, it's human nature. <laughs> you know, we want to hear about people yelling at each other and hating each other. But it's possible that, you know, Greg, who was the ultimate entrepreneur and the ultimate capitalist, just saw an opportunity to, to help the best players get richer. I'm trying to say this as nice and as diplomatically as possible, Ken. <laughs> I understand. I mean, the thing is, with the, you know, these golfers, I mean, they may not make... <clears throat> they have a lot of sponsorships, so they're making money off the sponsorships. So you wonder... You know, Mickelson ended up losing a lot of his sponsorships for his comments about uh, the, the, the situation with the, the uh, Washington Post reporter uh, getting murdered uh, by the Saudis. Uh, what... what I mean, do, do the, these golfers are looking? Are they looking at the the big cash grab, but not realizing they actually may not make as much money as they think they are? Uh, they they could definitely be wrong about the number, the amount of money they're going to make. Uh, they feel pretty strongly, apparently, about the upfront money. I mean, if we're talking about hundred million dollars, that's that's you know you're getting that up front for the number of days. I mean, keep in mind that. Can you know this? This is an equation, right? When you get you got a sponsor on your hat, that's that's giving you money, but you're also giving away days, and uh, you know you can't buy time unless somebody's going to pay you more money for less time, and and that's one way of. I'm not. I'm trying to stay in the middle here, or at least define one side of this pretty clearly. From a money standpoint, there is no comparison. They're they're not making a financial mistake. If this group remains solvent, uh, money is of no issue to the Saudi organization, or at least they're going to win all money comparisons if that's the way we're going to look at it. I think also, and uh, and try not to get political here, but obviously the Saudis, not, you know, really, they have, you know, their background is, you know, they're very tough and all that stuff, but that maybe, is that maybe one of the reasons why we we see, we see, uh, families of 9-11 victims complaining about this too. I mean, does that, maybe the fact that the Saudis are involved in this really has, has caused the rift? Well, no question. And, and it's, it's impossible to not get political. You know, I'm trying, you're trying. And that's the very clear other side of this. I mean, they've got pretty much unlimited funds. So you, you can't make a financial argument as to why a player wouldn't want to do this. Uh, they, they can throw enough money at anybody to make them want to do this. The question is morally. Uh, the question, you know, the question becomes socially. How do you feel about it? Can you sleep at night? Is this really who you want to do business with? Some people are in the blissful position where they don't, or that, that they have an opportunity to pick and choose who they want to do business with. Others are not. Uh, most of your listeners are not in a position where they can pick and choose to do who to do business with. I mean, we. We're all trying to do the best we can, you know. And yeah. So 
but yes, that's the very clear other side. That's what I'm glad we started where we started. But don't paint me on one side or, or of this or the other. This, you know, that that as Phil said, you know, you, you can paraphrase what he said about that group. Their history is not good. Yeah. Jay Monahan, the commissioner of the PGA, was interviewed uh, on CBS on Sunday, and he basically, basically slammed the LIV tour, and he was quoted as saying, I would ask any player that has left or any player that would ever consider leaving, have you ever had to apologize for being a member of the PGA tour? Is he right? Yeah, that was very strong stuff. You know, I thought that was poignant. That was the first real offensive thing we've seen. From the commissioner, I thought it was interesting. He also said, "Why do they need us?" Uh, and then I believe he backed it up by saying, "You know, they do need us." Because you would think I mean, all, the, all the players that, that went over there are, are appealing, or they're they don't like the fact that they've been suspended. Well, you had to see that coming, mm-hmm. and you have to send a message to everybody that's still here. Hey, if you go, good luck, but you're not coming back. Uh, but Jay's point there is, well. Why would they want to come back? If it's so good over there, what do you need your piddly little PGA Tour membership for? Uh, the players' points are that, you know, we are, they, they, this term about independent contractors keeps getting thrown around. Uh, they're not independent contractors. They never have been. There are some gigantic differences between what they do and uh, the way an independent contractor works. That may be a life that you lead. It is certainly a life that I lead. So uh, we know there's, there's big differences there. However, they want to be free to play wherever they want. Well, you just don't get to do that in real life. I, I'd love for them to be free to wait, play wherever they want. But you can't work for Coke and also work for Pepsi. Right. They're competitors. That's just the way it is. In a perfect world, you could. But we are far from a perfect world here. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Uh, what, did the, what do the Saudis have to gain with, from this? Yeah, well, that's that's another great question, and the answer that we are expected to accept at this point is that they are sports washing, which I didn't hear until this started. You know that they're trying to make the image of their country better by throwing a whole lot of money at it. Uh, it's it's also presumed that they're trying to make the image of the country better without actually improving their country. I don't know if that's true. Again, this thing got political almost as fast as COVID got political. Uh, this one is turning almost as fast as the political sidings turned shut down also. You know, that, that started with one president in charge and people saying one thing and it ended with another president in charge and, and everybody flipping sides. Now, you know, we, we, got, we got folks following, following their political leanings on this and they have also changed. So uh, it's really tough. And you know, I bring that up at this point because it's tough to point out what their actual motivations are. You know, I don't know what their actual motivations are. I've never had any dealings with anyone from over there. They never called me. I've not called them. Uh, I know they ran a pretty good golf tournament back when that's all we cared about. Uh, so, you know, that, that, that's all I got. But, uh, you know, the, the media will tell you their goal is to sports wash the image of their country. And that could be true. Phil Mickelson, uh, Dustin Johnson, and Bryson uh, DeChambeau are, you know, three of the big names that have made the switch. But you now Mickelson seems to be the poster child. I mean, he talked Monday and sort of had a rambling press conference, and really, I don't think he answered a lot of the questions. But is is Phil taking the brunt of the criticism for you know being the one that you know made the jump and then leading everybody over? Yeah, I think he is, and I, I think you're right. He feel, he didn't really answer too many of the questions. 
I think the most we got out of Phil was his opening statement. He talked about being in uh, being in therapy for his shortcomings, as he called them. He didn't elaborate. We're just left to believe that maybe it's gambling. I don't know. That got referenced a couple times. But Phil is absolutely the face of this. And, you know, when, when he gave those very clearly off-the-record quotes to that author, and here, here's how you know they were very clearly off-the-record. You and I have been watching Phil for a long time. On the record, in front of a microphone, on TV, you've never heard him say one foul word. Uh, yet the money quote was a very foul word. He wasn't making his cussing debut with this self-centered writer (laughs) in an on-the-record conversation. That's just who this guy is. He knew the comments were off the record. He used them anyway. I've got no time for that sort of journalism. I don't doubt that he said it, though, and that quote, when that quote got released, really shot this, this, this movement in the foot. Uh, but it did illustrate the decision these players have to make. They all have to decide, okay, here's their record on human rights, and, and am I going to do business with them or not? Which is interesting because I don't think we do that in our own lives, and I don't think we do that with anyone else. And again, I'm not defending them. They pointed out that this is unfair that they are being singled out, and I agree that this is unfair that they are being singled out. Uh, it's it's very interesting how this continues to turn. What does this do for Phil's reputation? I mean, obviously he was beloved by the golf fans and maybe more the beloved than Tiger Woods, but what does this do for his reputation? It's the biggest single hit of his reputation that his reputation will ever get, right? I mean, this is this is the Tiger scandal. That's That's what this is for Phil. I thought it was interesting that as he stood there at the – at the podium yesterday, you know, he just kind of stood there all by himself, and he took it, and it reminded me of, of Tiger standing there in Ponte Vedra Beach, you know, during his statement, uh, a guy that just sat, you know, stood there and took it. Now, nobody was really out to get Tiger. Uh, we were all shocked by what happened there. Uh, this one was, you know, the, the, there was, there's, they're still out to get him. So, yeah, that's that's. That's where this is going to go down. I mean, this is going to be the gigantic mark on Phil's otherwise very positive record right here, this one. Yeah. What is? I mean, how much tension do you think there's going to be this week with, you know, on the golf course? I mean, uh, I know a lot of the PGA members have been outspoken about the, some of these uh, players making the jump. So, you know, it could be it could be tension filled out on the golf course. Well, we saw that uh, Kevin Na and Grayson Murray have their lockers right next to each other. Uh, that was an interesting side note. Uh, still a gentleman's game. I don't know that anybody. I really don't think any of the players. This is from from a player's standpoint. It may be as simple as Ford and Chevy. Oh, you you bought that car. I bought this car. Uh, I don't know that it's contentious between the players and the Na. Murray thing was about something completely, you know, something else. Now one of them happens to be on one tour, and the other one's playing playing for Greg. But uh, I don't think there's going to be contentious there, uh, contentiousness there. And, and I don't know what we're seeing from the fans either, because the U.S. Open is a is a destination event. If you've got a U.S. Open ticket, you're probably unlikely to risk it just to heckle somebody. You didn't buy it just to heckle somebody. This is a this is a pilgrimage for you. So I really don't think I wouldn't expect to see very much at all bleed out onto the golf course. So no waste management uh, 
open gun like they do in Phoenix. The fans are rowdy. Then no, no, I love that. You just put a big smile on my face, Ken. No, no, I don't. I don't think. I don't think we're getting there. And, and one thing, you know, the golf public makes you know makes the same uses the same terminologies. You know, they, they'll call these guys PGA players. They're not PGA players. All of a sudden, the al- alphabet soup here has always mattered, but it matters a lot more in this case. These are PGA Tour players that are on one side. Uh, Greg's group is not a tour yet. It, it was never a tour, and then it was a tour for about a month, and now it's not a tour again. Uh, all of these little minutiae things, this event is not a PGA event. It's a PGA Tour event, but it's run by the USGA. The PGA of America ran the last major. All this all this stuff, it sounds like nitpicking and your kindergarten teacher getting on you again. No, it's, it's some of the casual observations from the casual fans. Uh, these things are going to matter because we might see a situation where you could play in the PGA, but you couldn't play on the PGA Tour. So all of a sudden, after all this time, all those letters and all these organizations are all going to matter here. Who's the favorite to win this tournament? I have no idea. I didn't really focus on that. <laughs> uh, you know, Scotty Scheffler's the number one player in the world, still playing great. You know, just lost in a playoff to Sam Burns. Uh, I think uh, he's the best ball striker out there, and that's usually what the U.S. Open identifies. So, you know, I love that. I love that, you know, Xander Shoffley just is a force here. Rory's coming in on a hot streak. Justin Thomas seems very rededicated to his game. Uh does, is, is all of this enough to light a fire under Dustin Johnson? Maybe. You know, we know how good he can be. So it's it's a pretty wide open field. One person that won't be there is Tiger Woods. He tried to play in the, he did play in the Masters in uh, the PGA Championship. But the injury from the, the car crash, I mean, did he come back too soon? Uh, should he have waited a little bit? No, no, this is not that type of injury. Uh this is this is one. I mean, obviously, he, he made it through the Masters on willpower. He found out he's not going to hurt this thing anymore. You're recovering from surgery. He's got rods and plates and pins and all kinds of metal down there on that right foot. Uh, this is not one that you can injure yourself again unless you have another car accident or something. He's not going to hurt himself playing golf. He's not going to hurt himself practicing golf. Uh, the only way he's going to hurt himself now is is hurting the back because he's using his back again. You know, so so the right leg, right foot injury is not a not a situation where you're re-injuring it. Uh, it's more like a pitcher's uh, a pitching arm. If you think about it that this way, Ken, it takes time. You know, pitcher needs three days off mm-hmm. after, if he throws a hundred pitches or whatever it is. I'm sure that's that's all changed in the modern day now. But uh, you know, Tiger needs needs hours off, and you go back and you look at the PGA Championship. He was ready Thursday. He played okay Thursday. wasn't his best, but he played okay. Then he had 24 hours off, and he got to play on Friday afternoon, and he played okay on Friday afternoon, made a nice charge on Friday afternoon to make the cut. Then, because he made the cut on the number, he only had 12 hours off between Friday afternoon and Saturday morning, and the temperature dropped 40 degrees. Mm. It was ridiculous what happened there. So that was the perfect storm against him. Uh, and there just wasn't enough recovery time. And there would have been the same deal going from Saturday to Sunday. He would have had, you know, probably about 15 or 16 hours off. And then still, you know, still very, very cold. So uh, so for Tiger, it's about recovery time. Think about it as a pitcher. What he needs is, you know, as of right now, what he needs is early, late tee times, you know, early on Thursday, late on Friday, and then 
then you got to play well enough to play on Saturday afternoon, which he wasn't good enough. And then you got to be continue to play well enough to play on Sunday afternoon in order to keep healing this thing. That's that's where he is as of right now. But the good news is he's a month better than he was the last time we saw him. This is an injury that's healing. It's going to be better tomorrow than it was today. So so that's good news for Tiger here in this particular case. Last question for you, Brian. What do you think will be – will there ever be a resolution between the PGA and the LIV? Again, that's the PGA Tour and the LIV. Right, yeah. uh, yeah. PGA of America has their own bone to pick. Right. You know, they've got their own situation, and that's who runs the Ryder Cup. And there may not – there could be a resolution between one of them and not the other one. Um yeah, I think there will. I don't know what it's going to be, but something is going to force the issue here. Right now, it seems like it's going to be. It, it seems like it's going to be uh, world golf ranking points. You know, that's that seems to be where the battleground is. Well, that's not run by the PGA Tour either. You know, those and if the major championships next up is the Masters. That's that's where the eyes are right now. These guys are in the U.S. Open because it's an Open Championship. Uh, they're in next month's British Open because that's qualifying is going on again. They they they're too far along in their qualifying process to uh, to stop the works. So the next major up is the Masters, and there's a there's a December 31st World Golf Ranking cutoff. There's another one two weeks before the Masters to cut it off. Uh, if these guys aren't getting World Golf Ranking points, then a lot of them are not going to qualify for the Masters. If the Masters changes their qualifying criteria either to keep these guys out or allow them in, then that's this tour is going to live or die based on what the major championships do because that's what these guys are playing for. Uh, money is great, but at the end of the day, the way the golf world is made up right now, it's about majors. If they can play in the majors and still play for Greg, then a lot of them are going to play for Greg. But if they can't play in the majors, if they play for Greg, Greg's going to Greg's got to do a lot more phone work. It's going to be a much tougher sell to go play over there. Six forty-five, first tee on uh, Thursday. You ready for that? <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> Hopefully, we will be. Yeah. Well, can't, can't wait. This is a great team. This Series XM team is just. We've been doing it for a long time, Ken. You know this. We, we're a. It's the best team in broadcasting. We actually love each other, which is uh, which is really nice. It's it's unusual. That's good. We have you, that way. Everybody gets along. Have a good time, and uh, it's to be a lot of fun listening to you guys on SiriusXM. Uh, Brian, appreciate a few minutes, and uh, we'll talk definitely. I'll pencil in for the Masters next next year. How's that? All right. That's I, that's very early and thorough planning, but uh, put me down. <laughs> I'll do that. Thanks, Brian. Appreciate it. That's Brian Katrick of uh, SiriusXM Radio. We'll be back to wrap up the podcast and have the latest winner in the Daily Gazette's Auto Racing Contest in just a moment. You're listening to the Parting Shots Podcast. All of us love sports, but not all sports are created equal. College sports have big budgets, dedicated alumni networks, and corporate sponsorships. Professional sports have even deeper pockets. Millionaire owners, lucrative TV and radio deals, and merchandise sales. High school sports have you. Everyone agrees high school sports give us plenty of reasons to cheer. And now's a great time for us to give back. 
Supporting your hometown high school won't cost you much, but it will go a long way to ensuring the games we love the most are here to stay. New York High School Sports. They're good for our kids, good for our community, and best of all, they're good for you. This message presented by the New York State Public High School Athletic Association and the New York State Athletic Administrators Association. Hi, this is Daily Gazette sports writer Adam Schindler. You're listening to the Parting Shots podcast with Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Back to wrap up the podcast. The Week 16 winner in the Daily Gazette's auto racing contest is John Bartizel of Amsterdam. John wins a $50 ShopRite gift card. Congratulations, John. The VIP winner is Nick Platel of Grand Premier Tires. I'll announce the winner of the Daily Gazette auto racing contest, and that winner's name will appear in Friday's Daily Gazette. If you'd like to play in the contest, go to dailygazette.com and click the auto racing contest banner. Keep checking out dailygazette.com and the print edition for the latest updates in news and sports on the coronavirus pandemic. I want to thank all the doctors, nurses, and first responders who are dealing with this pandemic. We appreciate the job you're doing in this difficult time. If you have not gotten vaccinated, please do so. Do it for yourself, do it for your family, and do it for your friends. That wraps up another edition of the Parting Shots podcast. I want to thank Zach Bai and Brian Katrick for coming on the show. If you have questions or comments about the podcast, email them to me at shot, that's S-C-H-O-T-T, at dailygazette.com. Follow me on Twitter at Slapshots. The views expressed on the Parting Shots podcast are not necessarily those of Gazette newspapers. The Parting Shots podcast is a production of Gazette newspapers. I am Daily Gazette Associate Sports Editor Ken Schott. Thanks for listening, and I'll catch you next time. From the Parting Shots podcast studio in Schenectady, New York, good day, good sports.